From Schwartz Media, I'm Ange McCormack. This is 7am. The price of homes in Australia are some of the highest and most distorted compared to the wages people earn in the world. But where exactly did things go so wrong? What were the key decisions? And can we ever go back to normal? Today, finance journalist and author of the latest quarterly essay, The Great Divide, Alan Kohler, on Australia's housing mess and how to fix it. It's Thursday, November 30. And to finance now, here's Alan Kohler. Well, if you're wondering why house prices are rising in 2023 and are now up 4.1% from the recent... Alan, you've been a finance reporter for a long time. People know you from the ABC's finance reports, but you've been covering the changes in the economy in print and on TV for decades. Why do you think housing is the most important story in the Australian economy? Well, I don't think there's any more important essential service or product than shelter. It's the most essential thing. We have to have a home. And there's always a divide between the rich and the poor and those who own a house and those who don't. But it's now because of the the increase that's occurred over the past 23 years, that divide is now much greater than it's ever been. That's true. And, and what's more, unless that increase in housing prices is reversed, that inequality will be entrenched. Mm. And your essay is called The Great Divide, Australia's Housing Mess and How to Fix It. We will get to some of those solutions later, but how big of a mess, as you call it, are we in currently? Well, I think it's a very big mess. In the past 23 years, from the year 2000 till now, the cost of housing has doubled as a share of income. So before 2000, the median house price was about three to four times the average wage. And now it's seven to eight times average wage. And so from the year 2000, house prices have increased by 6% per annum. And prior to that, they increased by around about the same as both incomes and GDP. So the rate of increase in house prices more or less doubled. And that's led to a shock, I guess you'd say, to the economy and to society. I guess for people my age, it's kind of startling how much harder it is for us to buy a house than it was for just one generation before. You know, that kind of cliff that we've fallen off into in just a generation is unprecedented. Where did it all go wrong? Uh, Well, there are many causes of the increase in house prices over the past two decades, but I think the starting point needs to be what happened in 2000. This is an address to the nation by the Prime Minister, the Honourable John Howard. Good evening. As Australians, we have every reason to be very optimistic about the future. No country in the world has better prospects as we enter the new century. There was an event, the end of 1999, which caused it all, and that was the halving of capital gains tax. The right decisions taken today will deliver an even stronger economy in the future. That is why Australia needs taxation reform. And in September 1999, the Howard government replaced or changed the way capital gains tax was calculated. Never have I been more convinced that we are doing the right thing for Australia than I am on taxation reform. 
So from 1985, when the capital gains tax was introduced, the deal was that you paid tax on your capital gain as if it was income, but minus the impact of inflation. So you got to deduct the CPI change that had occurred while you held the asset. You got to take it away from the capital gain and you paid tax on the difference. In September 1999, that was replaced by a simple 50% discount. That is to say, from that time on, you only paid tax on half of the capital gain. The idea was that, firstly, it would roughly equate to the inflation adjustment, perhaps be a bit more, and that it would encourage people to buy shares. That was the idea. But nobody did that. Everyone bought houses instead. Everyone bought houses instead because that's how people invest in Australia. If you made a wish for the perfect home, would it have four double bedrooms, a study, huge rumpus and family room, master with full ensuite, parents retreat and walk-in robe, a double garage and more? We're not a nation of share-owning capitalists. We're a nation of house owners. That's over 30 imperial squares for $89,950. GST-free, if you're quick. The thing is that the capital gains tax discount really worked as a tax dodge because of negative gearing. So negative gearing had been in place for a long time, which was that, you know, you've always been able to deduct the losses from your investments, whatever the investment might be. Uh, If you made a loss, you got to deduct that loss from your other income, so from your salary. That was already the case. But if you look at the data, nobody was really doing that much before 2000. After 2000, when the capital gains tax was reduced by half, everyone started doing negative gearing because it really is fantastic. You know, you get you get a tax deduction while you own the property and then you only pay tax on half the gain at the end of it. And because inheritance taxes were abolished in 1978, if you don't sell the property and pass it on to your kids, they don't pay any tax at all. And so it just became a wonderful reason to own property. But then a couple of years later, in 2005, so five years later, the Howard government also doubled immigration. So immigration uh, went from 100,000 a year to 200,000 a year. There was no thought given as to whether those people could be accommodated Immigration has fluctuated since then, but it's basically continued to average around about 200,000. And in the last last 12 months, it's been 500,000. So it's, you know, there's been a surge of immigration now to make up for the negative immigration during the pandemic. Meanwhile, supply of housing has been restricted by a number of things. One was the demise of public housing. So after the Second World War, we had a lot of public housing funded by the Commonwealth Government. That was kind of destroyed, that ended. In addition, we've had pretty restrictive zoning and planning, so there's been a lot of nimbyism. People have not allowed or wanted uh, medium-density housing. So there hasn't been enough supply, so that the combination of boosted demand and restricted supply was explosive. After the break, how Australia can fix its housing crisis. The Every Moment Matters campaign provides accurate, evidence-based information and advice about alcohol, pregnancy and breastfeeding. 
It has been created by the Foundation for Alcohol Research and Education and endorsed and funded by the Australian Government. Alcohol use during pregnancy can lead to Fetal Alcohol Spectrum Disorder, or FASD, a lifelong disability. So make the moment you start trying the moment to stop drinking. Visit everymomentmatters.org.au to find out more. For long-time editor Winnie Dunn, there were a few rules she followed when writing her debut novel. I really don't subscribe to writing for the sake of, you know, trauma dumping or getting your trauma out. That's what a therapist is for, please. <laughs> please go see a therapist. We're very pro-therapy on yeah, this. If that's, if that's what you're using writing for. I'm Michael Williams, and on this week's very therapeutic episode of Read This, I chat with Winnie Dunn. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Alan, people listening to this episode might be feeling disheartened about the state of Australia's housing market, but your essay does offer solutions on how to fix it. To make buying a home easier, what needs to be done most urgently? Well, I think the tax changes need to happen, but I mean, Bill Shorten as leader of the Labor Party in 2016 and 19, at both of those elections had as his policy that the capital gains tax discount will be reduced from 50 to 25% and that negative gearing would only apply to new properties. Why should a first pair of first home buyers, you know, supported by their parents, they could be in their late 20s, early 30s, they go to bid for a house, they get the deposit together, they've got to look at the, pay, get the stamp duty together. It's a lot more expensive than it was 20 years ago. And then what happens is they're bidding against someone in the crowd who's getting a taxpayer subsidy in the form of negative gearing. It's not fair. And the other so he lost both elections. As a result of that, Anthony Albany replaced him. He ditched that policy entirely. There are reports Labor will dump its negative gearing and capital gains tax policies, which Bill Shorten took to the last two federal elections. Nine newspapers report... The political conventional wisdom is that those policies are toxic and would result in whoever had them not winning. With the property market still booming, the party remains undecided on how to tackle the issue of housing affordability. But I don't believe that to be true. I think that particularly now, uh, a few years on, we've had a, you know, we had a 21% increase in house prices in 2021. Everyone's now much more upset about house prices going up so much, and I think that now there would be an appetite in Australia, for doing what Bill Shorten proposed in 2016 and 2019. So I think, firstly, the first thing that needs to happen is the Labor Party needs to go to the next election with those policies. In your essay, you also talk a a fair bit about the way we think about cities and the way that Australians live in this country, clustered in these urban centres. What solutions might there be in how we think about where we live and how we facilitate where we live in Australia compared to, you know, the major capital cities? Yeah, so Anthony Albanese's new policy currently is that they're going to build 1.2 million houses in five years, but the phrase that is used is that they'll be well-located houses. So what is meant is that they're going to be within a commuting distance from the city, which is fine, but firstly, that 1.2 million is not enough over five years. That's, That's simply going back to the rate of house building that occurred in the five years before the pandemic. All that would do is get back to the amount of house building that there was. So you need to build a lot of houses to achieve the sort of supply that's required. It's more houses than can be built, I think, in the suburbs. You know, like everyone's got a, got their own block. I mean, what are you going to do? You can build two or three or four units on a block, 
But you can't do that many of those. My view is that the only thing we need to do is, the only thing we can do is to have better railway transport so that people can viably live further out and also have regional cities that people can live in that have job, both jobs and amenities and hospitals and doctors and supermarkets that aren't in the centre of Melbourne. And none of these solutions that we're talking about are exactly easy to pull off. There's going to have to be a large amount of political will to do them. What if the answer was elsewhere and the premise of housing in Australia wasn't that buying a home is the ultimate goal? What if we were more serious about renters' rights? I'm wondering what it would take to shift this thinking of home ownership as the default, I suppose, while also improving the conditions in renting. Yeah. So it's interesting. Everyone wants to buy a house for two reasons. One is that you're in more control of it. You're not, you don't have a landlord breathing down your neck and you don't get kicked out and you can have a dog or a cat, right? But the other reason is because everyone thinks that's the only way to build wealth. You have to own a house to get on the property ladder, right? Well, the only way to deal with the problem of housing affordability is to stop property being a ladder. House prices have to stop rising for a while. So we need to be in the situation where... The decision between owning and renting was pretty much equal. If you're renting, you don't get an increase in wealth unless you're investing somewhere else. And we need that to apply to housing, buying a place as well, that you don't get an increase in wealth because the house price isn't going up. And uh, we need to also equalise rights. So if you're an owner of property, obviously you've got full rights about what you do on that property. Well, we need to improve the rights of tenants There have been some laws passed in Victoria and Queensland to do that, and uh, landlords are all complaining like mad and bailing out. You know, so they're all saying we're selling. We're not going to be landlords anymore. Okay, fine. Bugger off, I say. So my view is return the house price to income ratio to what it was. Houses are too expensive versus their income, and that needs to be back to what it used to be. If we're going to achieve anything, we have to ensure that house prices for a while increase at less than incomes so that incomes can catch up. Alan, as you said at the beginning of this conversation, you know, this crisis has never been worse and my generation are definitely feeling this crisis. And I guess we can either work to turn it back around, as you're saying, so that prices are in a much better ratio to our incomes, or we do nothing and it gets worse probably. How optimistic are you that we can do that work to turn it around? I'm not in the slightest bit optimistic. <laughs> oh, Alan. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not optimistic. All. I mean, I know what needs to be done. Uh, I don't think it'll be done. Now, the question is whether the, gr- the rate of growth in house prices returns to the same rate of growth of incomes, right? So we just hold on to this level of unaffordability. Or will it get worse? Will house prices keep increasing at 6% per annum on average for the next 20 years? In which case, in 20 years' time, the crisis will be a mega crisis. Will that happen? I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess we have to hope not. I mean, that would be terrible. If housing became 10 or 12 times uh, incomes, it, it would be appalling. But even, in my opinion, leaving it where it is, leaving the situation where it is, which is kind of likely, we'd we'd look back on this 23-year or 25-year period as being this kind of shock, this aberration that occurred in Australia's history when house prices stepped up 
and doubled as a multiple of incomes and then stayed there again. And we all had to get used to it. And maybe that's what'll happen. I mean, I don't know. I just don't know. I hope not. Well, on that ambiguous and slightly uh, depressing note, Alan, thanks so much for your time today. No worries, Ant. Winnie Dunn has made a career out of helping others find their literary voice, and now it's her turn in the spotlight. This week on Read This, join me, Michael Williams, as I chat with Winnie about her debut. Find it wherever you listen. Also in the news today, Brittany Higgins has given evidence over her alleged rape during the defamation trial brought by Bruce Lerman against Network 10 and Lisa Wilkinson. Ms Higgins' testimony followed Lerman's evidence this week, where it was revealed that Seven West Media is paying his rent for a year in exchange for a televised interview. The total amount of rent paid could be over $100,000 by the time the agreement ends next year. Bruce Lerman denies the rape allegation. And the UN warns that deaths from disease in Gaza could outnumber those killed in the bombings as rates of infectious diseases and diarrhoea surge up to 100 times higher than a month ago. The World Health Organization says while up to 200 aid trucks a day have been allowed to enter Gaza since the truce began, it's still a trickle compared to what is needed. I'm Ange McCormack. This is 7am. We'll be back again tomorrow.